Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Ice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said, once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games that we can spend our hobby time and hobby dollars on. It leads to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And I guess that's the purpose of this podcast. It's going to talk about the games that my friends and I enjoy playing, to talk to the people who create these games, and to talk about big industry events. Now, last week, when I was talking to the Knicks about old school fantasy, I did drop a hint for this week, and I am really excited about my guest this week. But before I get to the guest, I should do a little preamble about what we're going to talk about. Now, what has kicked off this episode, and I'm guilty of this myself, is that a lot of us sort of post-2020 think of COVID lags and delays for gaming companies or other things in general, just delays in general, as being almost a, we're almost in a post-COVID era. I've heard a lot of people say post-COVID. Of course, with Delta coming back and um, with Suez Canal issues and everything else, the shipping industry and travel industry clearly is not the same it was prior to COVID kicking off. And that has led to a lot of people complaining about not being able to get the toys in the part of the world where they live. For example, Australia is four or five months behind uh, the U.S. and U.K. for Marvel Crisis Protocol models. And while that occasionally feels real bad when you want a model to put on the tabletop and you know some of your friends in other places, you know, now that the world has programs and social media like Facebook and Instagram, you look at people having the toys, and they've had it for months, and yet you can't get it. I get it. It feels bad. But today we're going to talk a little bit about what the reality is for gaming companies. We're going to talk about logistics, and we're going to talk to someone who knows a lot about it. Someone who's got his foot firmly in the front and the back of the house, so to speak, of the gaming world, and someone who really does know more about this than literally anyone else I know. When I do this podcast, many of you have said... Clearly, you've spent a lot of time talking. And yes, I am a primary school teacher. I do spend a lot of time in front of a class. Yes. And yes, I did used to be a radio DJ. And that is kind of where I cut my teeth. But I have said this before. I really learned to talk about games in my time at Games Workshop in corporate sales. And there is literally one human being who I owe that to. There is one man who ran sales, and he's the guy who literally hired me out of the absolute worst job interview I have ever had in my life for a reason I didn't know for years later. He is the, the gruff, grumpy, lovely, uh, cursing like a sailor dad that I never had. I don't know how else to say it. John Matthews, welcome to Cast Dice. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Fred. Yep, I've never been introduced that way, grumpy. Yeah, I think that describes me. <laughs> In the best possible manner. So years and years and years and years ago, 1999, I was fresh out of college, bartending in New Orleans, and I was playing regularly in the grand tournaments, and a couple of our friends at Games Workshop would stick around afterward, um, because of course back then the grand tournaments were an inclusive weekend in a hotel, uh, and some of the staff would come just to hang out uh, and see some of the nutters that would come up, like myself, And we would stay the extra night because of flights. You know, you get out uh, of the tournament late Sunday night. There are no flights back to New Orleans. So I spent the extra night at the hotel. And I started to play games with friends of ours like Sophie, Gogo, Dan Bartholomew, uh, Jason Buyaki, some of these guys. And it was at the bar playing Kill Dr. Lucky that... um, they encouraged me, Sophie in particular, encouraged me to apply for a job at Games Workshop, particularly in mail order. So I was flown up from New Orleans, showed up at Games Workshop headquarters, and um, I walked into an interview that wasn't for mail order. It was for the big sales division, trade sales. And uh, it was 
good cop, bad cop, interviewee, you know, interviewers, as Games Workshop did at the time, and one angry-looking man standing in the back of the room with a deadpan expression and, and very judgmental eyebrows who watched me the entire time and at the end of the interview didn't say anything, and the bad cop turned and nodded to him or sort of looked at him, and the man in the back standing nodded, and I was given, you know, a tour and a, a little baggie of miniatures and sent on my way, and I got the phone call that I got the job. Meanwhile, this was the worst interview I've ever had in my life. It was terrible, terrible, terrible. Now, you were the man standing in the back of the room, and years later, uh, or not even months later, at Games Day, I won the staff award for the cheerleader award. I was very excited, and I said to you, this is why I work for Games Workshop. And you said, actually, I'm going to stop you right there. This is not why you work for Games Workshop. What, you, you work for Games Workshop for one reason, and, it was, and I saw it in your interview. And I said, it was the worst interview ever. And you said, yes. But when I asked you to tell me a joke, or when I had Dan ask you to tell me a joke, you didn't even blink. You told one of the worst jokes I'd ever heard. But... You didn't think, you just did. And it showed me that you could think on your feet. And yep. that is what got me my job. So, John, yep. without you, I would not do this show. And without that joke, I wouldn't be here today. Thank you again. Yeah, well, my pleasure. However, I would say it was always in you anyway. It just needs to come out. Is A lot of it just comes down to experience. But the thinking on your feet is important in trade sales you know there are lots of things that are thrown at you and you have to be able to answer them as truthfully as you can but confidently as well and that's what the joke uh, thing does and of course now you've ruined every other interview for me because anybody that comes is going to go oh he's going to ask me to tell a joke so now i've got to come up with something completely new thank you brad <laughs> sorry i won't i won't tell the i won't mention the uh, the bunny ears then um or the, oh, well okay i'll i'll stop <laughs> right there <laughs> fine, but yeah, i like that one as well now john you are the global general manager for battlefront miniatures yes it's a long title that means i just manage generally <laughs> So what does that mean specifically? Because you you have your fingers in a lot of pies. Yes. So because we're small, um, also it allows more fingers in pies. So my primary job is I run the UK and the US sales warehouses, mm -hmm. getting the product out into uh, general hobby stores around the world. But then that obviously leads to the other point, which is working with our factory in Kuala Lumpur um, for the deliveries, what we're going to make, forecasting, etc., etc., and then all the associated rigmarole that comes with that, shipping, customs, duties, you name it, it goes past my desk, or I help the people whose desk it does go past. So the one I have the least with is, is studio. Sorry about that. Oh, no, not at all. So you have always been sort of the logistics guy or the sales guy, even at your time in Games Workshop. And I do realize you worked at Games Workshop for a very long time. But when I worked with you um, in my two stints in corporate sales, you were head of sales overall, and you were head of uh, the Northeast region, which meant retail and uh, corporate sales. Yeah. So you've always been sort of the, the bridge between studio and what actually got out in shops. For example, way back when I remember the Last Chancers model, uh, Schaefer's Last Chancers, the metal box set, for example, you saw the, the prototypes of the models. And mm -hmm. I remember you were part of the decision that went, yeah, I'm sending some of these back because I don't think these are going to sell. And what actually came out was because they modified it to uh, to better suit the sales division. I may be remembering that slightly wrong, but you did not have... As cut, yeah, not as cut and dry as that, but yes, the way that Workshop worked was all sales, heads of sales would come in and volunteer an opinion, and you've got to always caveat that. It's just an opinion. Yeah. But sometimes it's agreed, especially... If you have a figure that everybody just goes, you know, that's just a little bit off. 
And then somebody will say, but if only he was doing X. Exactly. And that's where you get it. But often, I'm not any sort of guru or anything like that. I've got a reasonable eye for figures. I would say, you know, Workshop has definitely proved over its time they have a very good eye for figures. Exactly. We have as well. Mm -hmm. Warlord does. Privateer Press does. But they're all their own styles. But yes, they, they would ask for our feedback and we'd give it. And sometimes... We got our way, and other times we were completely wrong. Well, you were part of the, I mean, we were both part of the sales division. At the end of what I would call sort of what a lot of retailers called sort of the evil era of Games Workshop sales, where they would make Games Workshop, Games Workshop would make you buy a bunch of things you didn't want. When I first got there, you explained it in a way that has always made me understand uh, sales, particularly in the gaming industry, has really put it into focus. And let me see if I can uh, narrow this down. You do believe in trying to sell a lot of things for your company into a shop and making money uh, as part of that because that's part of the business that you're in. Like You need to support the stakeholders uh, and the stockholders for the company that you are a part of. But at the same time, you are never you never advocate selling something somebody to somebody that they can't sell themselves. And so I was part of the sales team where you really hammered that home, where it was, yep. let's get the right product in this store so that they can sell it, so they can make more money, and they can buy more from us. And yep. as such, you were the biggest advocate for local gaming shops that I have ever met. And to this day, when I walk into gaming stores... Uh, I do, you know, put on the the, the John Matthews uh, critical eye sometimes and go, God damn it, dust your shelves. You know, stop yep. looking at your computer. Talk to the customer. Sell that box. Like, what are you doing? Can you talk to us a little bit about that philosophy? Because that is a side of the gaming industry that I just don't think gamers regularly think about. Well, retail, as we all know, is extremely tough and i i sort of look at it as there should be a contract between uh, obviously unwritten between a game store and its customers and that game store should supply product gaming areas clean safe mm -hmm. um you know and more importantly than anything, the staff in there should be the mentors of the hobby in the area. Mm -hmm. And for all of that, I think then it's down to the customers to show loyalty and buy from them. But of course, you could only buy it if you've got it on the shelf. Mm -hmm. And the problem is you don't see many um hobby shop owners driving around in lamborghinis with <laughs> no. private jets and all this sort of stuff the margins are so narrow that sometimes it is difficult to cover all the bills so when you would hear about the old as you say the evil empire and go no i didn't pick salesmen capable of stiffing accounts I've only ever had two, and you both you know both of them, mm -hmm. that have ever been in that dangerous ilk. Mm -hmm. But the problem when you are talking with an, a, an account and you're saying to them, no, no, you really should have three tactical marines on the shelf. They hear three and whatever price. I think, oh, but what we don't know is what else is going on in their life at the moment. You know, have they just paid the rent and they haven't got any cash? There's something, 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 something. But unless, you know, it would be a one of the huge internet retailers, nobody ever took 30s. Nobody ever took 40s. No, exactly. <laughs> we were always trying to get in twos and threes mm -hmm. in the shelf. And mostly they would want one. And you go, but that's never any good because as soon as you sell it, you're out. Exactly. And it's that sort of flow that you want to do. And, you know, sometimes I honestly believe that my sales uh, teams, wherever they were, cared more about the profitability of hobby stores than sometimes the owners. And yep. that isn't 
completely true either. It's just the experience of because you don't know everything that is going on in somebody's business. But again, I think it is it's very important for our industry as a whole that hobby stores do well. Exactly. And, you know, you've mentioned COVID and all of these sort of things. It is very tough out there at the moment. So, you know, if you take anything from this is go out to your hobby store and buy something. I don't even care if it's mine. Just keep <laughs> them trading. <laughs> right. Now, I was going to bring that up. You actually touched on a couple of the talking points that we're going to get to. But let me come back to support your local hobby shop. Oftentimes people think, you know, owning a game store is their dream job. Because you get to hang out in a store, you get to build models, paint models, play games all day. Likewise, it's the same thing that you and I both encountered when we worked for Games Workshop. Oh, look how lucky you are. You work for Games Workshop. You play Warhammer all day. Yep. That is just sadly not the experience. <laughs> oh, I, I do remember several times over the years when I worked for you, particularly during grim Christmas seasons, where you would say, right, everyone off the phone today we're going to play a game because you knew full well that we needed to be enthusiastic about what we were doing in order for any of our conversations to make sense. And you knew full well that because we were so, we were putting in so many long hours, we weren't, you know, we were working through lunch, we were coming in early and staying late. We, you know, we were doing what we could to support the team that we weren't playing games. And you would say, right, this afternoon, we're going to play a game. We're going to have fun, whether you like it or not. Um, something, yep. something yep. about the beatings will continue until morale improves, except in this case, we're <laughs> going to play a game owning and working in the, I guess, owning a game store is not the dream. People have asked again and again, Oh, are you, you know, what's your dream to open a game store? No, never, ever, ever, ever. I remember, um, when, be, when I was first hired, it was right after the, and this is going to sound funny when I say this the Pokemon crash of 1999. And I know you remember that well, John, because we lost a lot of accounts who put all of their money into Pokemon. And then when Pokemon became worthless, unfortunately, a lot of people went out of business. And it was a really ugly time in the gaming industry. And so you were the one who said, it's good to have diversity in your shop. It's good to, because as you say, the margins are so small that you really do need to have variety to be able to make the money to keep your shop open. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is is a very important point, is the idea that not putting all your eggs in one basket, and there is definitely ways to get a better income if you can capitalize on all the gaming systems that might be popular in your area. But that also leads to an awful lot of hard work on a hobby store. Yeah. Because you literally have to not be an expert, but you better be well versed in, oh, I play Flames of War. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. I need to be able to talk to you about Germans. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, whatever it happens to be. Or Infinity. Or... Bolt action exactly. or games workshop. And of course, now there might be ones that you just go, I don't get it. They're space marines. Why would anybody want to play with these? But you better not tell your customers <laughs> no, that. No, exactly. You absolutely need to know what a bolter does. And oh man, they're hard. You know, we, we used to say, come uh, occasionally fake it until you make it. Mm -hmm. And that is actually what somebody needs. They need their hobby fix. And they don't want to be told that they, you know, their hobby sucks and you should be playing, you know, um, I'm going to try and pick on one, uh, Canoe Wars of 1812. Right. I'm sure there is a period like that. Because that's what a store loves. Mm -hmm. Is there, uh, to quote a, a, a manager that you know, Jeff Smith, mm -hmm. he used to say, if a man comes in, buys a figure, paints it up to, you know, whatever standard, then takes it out and puts it on an anvil and hits it with a big hammer. You don't ask him, well, why'd you do that? You yeah. ask him, why do you use that size hammer? Why don't you use a bigger hammer? Exactly. You engage him in his hobby, even though to most of us, we're going to go, what? Mm -hmm. you, you destroy your toy soldiers. You know, it, it makes no sense to you, but that's his hobby. 
Exactly. And, you know, I will quote this many times is it's not the hobby. Mm -hmm. It's the whole hobby. Right. Everything. It's not your hobby. It's the whole hobby. And there isn't good or bad on it, though you might have an opinion. You know, I know I do, but I'm not going mm -hmm. to criticize somebody else's opinion on it because it is only an opinion. Right. But if somebody comes in your shop, as you say, wanting to spend money about something, why are you going to crap on that? Uh, it's for exactly. the same. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Some do. And, you know, and again, anybody is allowed to choose their own business model. You know, right. I've seen an awful lot, of, especially with COVID, of the right of something and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, mm -hmm. uh, no shop can, uh, tell me that they can't come in with, uh, I, I, if I don't have a mask on or I'm vaccinated and they go. All of that's rubbish because every store has the right of refusal. You've worked in bars, so mm -hmm. you know this. Oh, yeah. It's just because I open a store, you know what? I never have to open the door ever. I might just want a store and I don't want you filthy customers coming in and messing my store up. I'm not going to make any money, Yeah. but it's my choice. Yep. And you know, that sort of thing is if somebody wants to do a different business model than I think would be successful, good on them. I've got no problem with that at all. And I'm not going to criticize them for, but I will scratch my head of how on earth did you make money? Yeah, exactly. Because I've seen so many stores in my, what, coming up to 30 years now. Mm -hmm. And you see commonality in, oh, look, they open. They let people in. That That's rule number one. Mm -hmm. They cater to them. They have stock. They are able to engage. They put on events. They do this. They do that. And you look at it and you go, that works so many times, I'm pretty sure that's what you have to do to be a successful store. Exactly. The ones that don't seem to follow that, I've not yet seen one where I go, well, it worked for him. Yeah, exactly. There there are exceptions, as you say, but there I'm are sure definitely... There are. I just have not come across them yet. Exactly, but there's the commonalities and there's enough of them where you once you've worked long enough, you just go... Maybe we could try that. You might make a little bit more, <laughs> just a little bit more. And, you know, I'm trying to help you there, buddy. Uh, but yeah, well, talking about supporting the local game shop, John, in our time together, when we worked together, it was when the Internet was really kicking off. And back then, we both worked for Games Workshop and Sales. And you put forward a fairly revolutionary concept at the time. I know you were part of the team that sort of limited limited what was being sold to online stores and really did focus on selling directly with brick and mortar stores to the point where Games Workshop would only sell to people if they had a brick and mortar store. Yep. Now, I know that's a philosophy that you've carried forward today, and I know it mirrors some of your thoughts about whether or not uh, companies like Battlefront, for example, should sell 3D print files and STLs. Can you talk to us a little bit about your philosophy around that? Because, I mean, 3D printing is becoming a more legitimate thing all the time, but yep. it is also important. I'll, I'll let you finish that thought. Um, talk to us about this, John. Is And again, what I will say is this is just... For me, it is only my opinion. Right. I don't see at the moment how 3D printing helps trade stores, hobby shops that are out there. Now, if you got me, you know, a little bit more talking, I could absolutely start going, oh, yeah, well, you know, get yourself a couple of machines, do the printing in the shop, sell them that way. Yep. There is a... a, a uh, a business model there. I don't know how successful it is with um, uh, overhead and type of machine mm -hmm. and time and that sort of stuff. However, I think it goes hand in hand with the support structure of it. As I've quoted many times before, I am a great believer in dance with the one who brung you. Mm -hmm. And 
it's that sort of thing is, oh, you know, I play whatever game, X game. And you go, fantastic. But I use bits of card, an old shoebox, uh, three cuddly toys, and and you should be really grateful that I play your game. I don't buy anything, mm-hmm. but I play it all the time. And you go, yeah, but none of us are in this as we are super rich Bill Gates type levels where we do it for their we do it to pay the mortgage as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't drive a Lamborghini. I'm, not that I could get down that low, but, you know, <laughs> it's not that uh, sort of thing is I get by. I'm OK, but we are not super rich. Yeah. Um, I only know one person that has become super rich from um, gaming, and I'm sure most people know who that is, but I'm not even going to say his name. Nope. And you look at it and you go, good on him is I, I admire uh, him for doing what he did. He worked very, very hard for it. Yes. Everything else about it, you go, no, we are just like everybody else, paying the mortgage, getting by, and doing that sort of thing. So in order for us and everybody else to be there next year, we need to have our products bought. And the shops are exactly the same. And they then need, they're almost in the rock and the hard place, is if they don't have games that people play and keep getting excited about, they actually have nothing to sell, even if it is a third-party type printed thing. Mm -hmm. Because what do you play? If you haven't got that central thing that comes around that actually I'm going to the shop to play X, well, then what do you, how do you play? How do you get organized into, oh, Brad plays a sort of house rule something or other, and I play a different game. Well, actually, Mm -hmm. where do we get to on the commonality? Rules make it easy for us. It, It was, again, one of those things that, when I joined workshop, I was a decade older than most people. And I remember uh, Ronnie Renton from Mantic Games drawing me aside and saying, look out there, John, what have you got in common with any of these people? And I looked at them and went, nothing. I haven't got anything in common. He was like, you sure? And then, of course, it hit me. Warhammer. That's right. That's how we could talk, actually. And that's how friendships started, was because you would talk, what army do you play? Blah, blah, blah. Do you fancy a game? Mm -hmm. And then some people you would never game again with ever because you were thinking, oh, there. And maybe I was on their list for other people as well. But others, you start forming the friendship. And it's because it's easy because somebody else has done the hard work for you and you know, no, this rule set works. Exactly. So now I do. But you need those people as well to carry on making stuff to keep your hobby going. That's right. And then hobby stores to maybe start meeting people, especially if you, um, like yourself, you moved to Australia. You are now, well, I haven't got my hobby buddies. Mm-hmm. You need to find some. Because, again, I've, I've always preached the most important thing in our gaming community is a friend exactly if you are billy no mates like me you don't play nearly as much as you should is because it's no fun you want a a good group of guys and gals for that matter Mm -hmm. to go around and play because really that's what it's all about is having a good time in your leisure time exactly so yeah 3d printing for me i think I think we'll be here to stay, absolutely. And I'm sure there is going to be a model, a business model that will come about from it. Yep. And I think it could be a useful part of it. But I do think that there is still an awful lot of need to support the manufacturers and hobby shops, especially hobby shops uh, with the margin that they make on them. Is I don't know what they would make on a margin of a 3D um, printed model. Because, again, from what I see in my limited bit is it always seems to be about being cheap as well. Mm -hmm. And going, yeah, I know we don't all have enough money, 
that we really want and we can afford everything. But again, every tenner that you give to a hobby shop, if they can keep four to five of it, that pays their bills. Exactly. It's not like they are keeping nine of it. That's for sure. <laughs> Amen to that. And I've seen yeah. the margins. They're, they're not pretty. Um, yeah. Now, I am going to get hate mail for uh, this segment because I know that people are going to point out, but Brad, you just got a Mohawk Storm 3D printed for Marvel Crisis Protocol. Yes, but I also bought the official Storm model so that I had the tokens, I had the cards, and I have the actual model. I get it. Brad, you've got this massive 3D printed G.I. Joe army that you're using for bolt action. Yes, but most of the infantry is converted bolt-action models, and all of the machine guns from that came from bolt-action models. I bought those, and how many bolt-action armies do I already own and have painted, and will I continue to play? Tons. So, again, I know that in Melbourne we came out of uh, a lockdown that went for an entire term of school. God, I don't even remember how long, that, maybe 10 weeks? And I know literally the very first shop I went to besides the coffee shop was to get a bucket of coffee and walk to the local game store. And I bought a lot of toys because that's what some of these places need. And if your local has click and collect and you're locked down, think about doing it. Yep. I, and I think, and this is where I say is some flavor. I don't see anything wrong with that at all. Exactly. It's, it's when you look at it, in my opinion, again, is it's when you ignore all of it mm -hmm. and then go, but I've done this completely. And again, I'm sounding a bit sanctimonious here. I'm not really meaning it like that. I'm just meaning with all decisions, there are consequences. Exactly. And one person buying an army, that's not going to stop there, um, the whole of the industry or anything like mm -hmm. that. But, you know, I would just always consider others. Yeah. You know, the yeah. empathy thing of that store is struggling. So if you are going to go down that whole route, please make sure that you buy the paints or mm -hmm. something. But remember that the hobby dollars need to be in keeping maybe the place that you play alive. Exactly. Because exactly. if they've gone, you know, you're going to look pretty silly on a street corner uh, setting up your little two-by-four table trying to get somebody to play. Exactly. And uh, there have been a few articles recently about how profitable Games Workshop has been during lockdown. And a lot of people talking about how the gaming industry is on this amazing upswing as far as money goes. But... That is not the case across the industry. Now, Games Workshop is having a wonderful renaissance for them, for them, and I know for a while things were looking grim. But, John, uh, across the industry, I would say that things have been going tough in the last year and a half in general. Yes, people are generally trying to spend a little bit more on entertainment, but things aren't easy, are they? It's, yeah, I don't want to give uh, the impression that, you know, we're hard up against the wall. No, exactly. Is, Sorry, I, I, I'm not I trying think, to paint it that way. Yeah, yeah. I think that definitely with COVID, people's buying patterns have changed. And um, spending on games has always done quite well in recession types mm -hmm. and i i always put it down to that we tend to buy in smaller chunks where if money's becoming tight you may put off buying a new car or having a big expensive holiday but you still need your sort of wellness fix mm -hmm. and there is something about buying 40 50 dollar items that you just go yeah yeah that ticked that box this week versus the oh i managed to buy myself an extra you know 68 inch plasma tv or mm -hmm. something like that um so yes i think workshop is i always used to describe it when i was there is it's a bit like surfing you're out there and you're waiting for the wave Mm -hmm. And you let them come through. And then you see the big one coming and you start paddling like mad. And it is really hard work. You know, I, yep. I think hopefully, you know, even non-surfers will understand that 
that bit to get the speed it, that is the same as the wave is hard, hard work. And then you kind of sort of get drawn back up to it and you jump the board. And then you start really surfing. And I think workshop is in that surfing mode. It's not easy. You've still got to balance. You've still got to do all of that. But they've got to the place where they have a critical mass that is doing beautifully for them. I mean, also, they're coming out with some great stuff. Oh, yeah. You know, they've definitely got their act together. But I also see that with ourselves, with Bolt Action, with Mantic's mm -hmm. um, latest, I love their um, ship game. Yes. And uh, you look at that and you go, no, the figures are wonderful on that and that sort of thing. So the choice is out there. And I think it is just a matter of getting it into the stores and, you know, capitalizing on that, which I know you're going to touch on, which mm -hmm. is that's actually more of the problem is the supply thing. So workshops been doing very, very well. But also we hear from the other stores is that actually in America, their supply issue has been strained a little bit. I'm not mm -hmm. saying they're, they're on their knees or anything like that. Exactly. But if you go on their website, you will see how many codes are temporarily unavailable. Mm -hmm. Some of that will be choice. And some of it is just sheer logistics of getting product A to location B. And we've we've suffered the same with that is timing and everything like that has all slowed down with uh, you you mentioned the Suez Canal and going mm -hmm. it's just amazing I know two companies who had containers on that of their games and they were then delayed up to three months and you go that doesn't help them no not at all doesn't right? help them at all you know, and of course, now they've got into market and everything like that. And it's all good. But you have that horrible bit of three months of cash flow that is now altered. That's right. Uh, you know, and I think that's where Workshop definitely has an advantage is there is their reserves mm -hmm. are most probably better than everybody else's. But, you know, I do hope there is a couple of eccentric millionaires out there that are just starting <laughs> up their hobby businesses as well. But yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you know, good on them for that. Yeah, good for that. You know, again, we want to celebrate that, you know, it's working for them. But let, let's get to the main topic because, uh, you know, 40 minutes later, um, we've just been talking shop. And it, look, I think <laughs> this is all important to different ways to think about the gaming industry other than, as the customer walking in. But John, I, I know that Battlefront's been doing a great job uh, throughout the 2020-2021 timeframe. I know that it's been a challenging era for everyone as far as logistics and making sure that you're able to get product into shops and having delays and everything else. And I'm not pointing a finger at Battlefront at all. Everyone's having these issues. Can you talk to us, a l pull back the curtain a little bit about how... COVID and shipping and all of this has really affected things because we really are in a completely different era than we were 18 months ago. The world is a yeah. very different place. I know that a lot of people saw Alessio's post about the shipping container costs going up. But when I saw that, I went, yeah, that's, that's good, but let's talk to John. He'll know a lot more about this. So can you yeah, be no, no. elaborate on that? Alessio is spot on. This is um, absolutely what's been seen there. I, I would imagine, though I don't know 100%, I imagine some of it is turnover profits went down. Mm -hmm. So what we need to do is recoup. Some of it comes down to, you know, whether you love capitalism or not, there is always that thing of if demand is where it is, the prices can be X. If there is no demand, it is strange how the prices go much lower very quickly. And at mm -hmm. the moment, is you seem to not be able to contain it for love nor money. And I, I briefly touched on this before. It's because everything is getting delayed, containers seem to be on their route for longer, which means because they haven't been 
turned around. So maybe a container is used, let's say, 12 times a year. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, now maybe they're only being used nine times because of the delays. Well, that now takes 25, 30% of the containers that were use usable Mm -hmm. well they're still being all 100% used but they aren't being turned as quickly right so that slows everything down so you know if there are any container makers out there at the moment I would be making containers like nobody's pissed (laughs) right Uh, and that's suffered from it is you you go out to get a container and we, we we used to be able to phone up and go uh, we need a container Friday. Now, well, which Friday? Yeah. I can get you a Friday in three weeks' time. Mm-hmm. And that slows everything down. You have to now get ahead a little bit faster and do things. And, you know, we've just come out of lockdown in Kuala Lumpur, so they've been shut for a bit. They opened back on last Saturday. Mm-hmm. So, of course, now they are absolutely in overtime mode, everything like that. And we are literally booking containers out that we have no idea what we're going to put on them. Right. You're just, just going to try and get something on them. Yeah, We want a container. And, I mean, my bosses were absolutely is – we want a container every Friday. And, of course, the shipping agents immediately come back with, well, what are you putting in it? And we just go, toy soldiers. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have a manifest? Nope, but we'll get you one. But you make sure our container is booked and paid for. Because it's the only way you can have it. We'd prefer to send a container that maybe has only got nine pallets in and could take ten than not send anything. Um, And I think everybody's got to do that. The problem comes with the other side of our business is board games. That's right. They aren't as easy to manufacture as toy soldiers because you don't just go, oh, make me 14. You go, make me 20,000. That's right. And, you know, Alessio is in the same boat there. He makes serious board game Mm -hmm. uh, runs. And you go... Okay, now, so if you're hand stacking it, most probably if it's a 12 by 12 by 4 box, you can get around 10,000 to a 40-foot container. But that means now you need two for a good run. Yeah. And if they haven't got them, what do you do? Do you send in two lots of 40s? Well, where do you send them? Because your distribution model might be, actually, I need 8,000 in Germany, 2,000 in France, 10,000 in America, blah, 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 blah. And all of that now has to be organized with the limited capacity of I can only get two 20-footers right. in that time. So you your lead times have to go out a little bit longer if you want to play safe. Or, of course, you move back your release date. Which is why we sometimes see... For example, to use the example that I used before, and again, I'm not having a go at Atomic Mass Games and Asmodee. Um, I'm a big fan of the Marvel game. I really love it. But I know that they're having problems getting a lot of the newer releases to Australia. And that is simply because we are in our own little region, away from everything else. And being able to get a container with those products here is a logistical problem. Yeah. I mean, one of the things, again, I, I if you ever are interested in this, it's interesting to go to the shipping tracking websites. And, of course, you can see the ships around the world and where they go. Mm-hmm. And, of course, more ships go where there are more people. Mm-hmm. So getting ships that, to go to New Zealand, for example, we might have one going from Baltimore a month. Well, if that ship's full... You have to wait another month. That's right. Australia is a massive country, as we Mm -hmm. all know that. But the population is lower, so their consumption is lower as well. So there are less ships that go there. America obviously consumes everything in the bloody world. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So there are many more ships. But even they are suffering. And, of course, I think the big factor there is that not as much cargo is going by air. And I think that's one of the things that lots of people may have forgotten is without the air cargo, 
you're now dumping even more on the shipping, which uses more containers and exacerbates the, the problem. What we actually need is the air to sort of cope, but I don't know when that's going to happen. You know, uh, as you, so you mentioned, with Delta and everything, that might still be a way off yet. Yeah, because that's one of the things yeah. that air shipping, if I understand it correctly, um, airlines would occasionally sell um, some of their plane for shipping. Is that right? Um, yeah, not occasionally. Almost every plane will have a certain amount of cargo on it. If you think back to, I mean, you've traveled uh, extensively. Mm -hmm. You used to be able to bung on two suitcases, right. 32 kilos each. Now you're down to one suitcase, 23 kilos. Because mm -hmm. you times that by 250, 300 people on a plane at 32 kilos a time, and you're suddenly into very serious cargo that they're able to sell which makes the money i'm not criticizing them at all for this mm -hmm. other than when i obviously want two suitcases right. it is about that and you you just go yep no i get it but we would we would quite often use one two three pallets on a plane mm -hmm. if it was an emergency so you know for example we've just um had to postpone our romanian release well Days gone by, I would have bunged those three, five, seven pallets, depending on how big the release would be, on a plane to actually, it's only five days. And you can catch up hugely there. Mm -hmm. But because the planes aren't going, I haven't got that option anymore. It, it's been taken out of my hands. And I haven't quite worked out how to do um, telekinesis yet and move <laughs> on uh, without it. I'm, I'm still working on it. I've had a couple of people joke because uh, I mentioned that I was going to have someone on to talk logistics and they said, oh, is this going to be the, uh, the, the cast dice where we talk about the future of the gaming industry and we talk about teleportation because, you know, that would make things a lot easier, <laughs> wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, teleportation. I think I said telekinesis, didn't I? Yeah. Well, hey, it's moving so, things with your mind old, works I'm too, old, right? I'm very old. <laughs> hey, that works too. Oh, but because, as you said, and I want to loop back to something you said earlier, um, because that shipment isn't going, those pallets that normally ride on planes aren't riding on planes because there just aren't as many planes. In fact, there's yep. so, so fewer, so many fewer planes than there were previously that everything that was riding on planes is now riding in containers. And since containers are yep. taking a longer time anyway... It's just double exacerbating the problem to start with. Yep. Yeah, but I, I do believe that humans are very adaptive. Mm. I bet you there are people making cargo ships right now, and there are this and that and that sort of thing. And this will become manageable sooner rather than later. Mm. Is It's... It's, it just doesn't feel right that it will stall us. Right. It's just adapting to it now and overcoming. Is Lead times will change and all that sort of stuff. And then you're back into nobody knows. It's a bit like knowing how the widget's made. Mm -hmm. Well, that's my job is to just go, yeah, yeah, okay, we'll start working on those now. We'll have three shipments instead of two on the water. And we know now that, okay, they're going to take nine weeks. So, therefore, we will have these shipments sent out 12 weeks ahead, giving yourself about a month's worth of leeway just in case something goes wrong. And then you go there. But that's just a matter of changing the business practice. Um, and we are doing that right now is exactly. we'll play some catch up. But then, you know, you just go, as I've already said, we have containers booked out the wazoo at the moment is and hopefully most of them will come to fruition because they don't always you know suddenly you find out but we had one booked yeah but somebody outbid us yeah. oh did they yeah and again i i don't blame them if you can sell something for twenty thousand mm -hmm. and somebody else is offering you 16 why wouldn't you no exactly right it's a business 
Well, I do have to say, not to toot your horn, um, when things were kicking off, and I know a lot of people were talking about, is this the death of the gaming industry? Will it cope? Will things go on? I actually thought back to a moment. Now, I worked for you the first time in 1999, and it was all the gamers back then, because we as gamers do like to look at the sky and say, oh, it's falling, it's the end of the world. And in 1999, towards the end of the year, it was Y2K. And everyone talked about Y2K and how it would end the world. And you brought us in the sales sales, uh, conference room uh, in one of your Friday meetings, and you said, look, lads, don't worry. We got this. We've, we've planned. We've thought. We've adapted. We have a plan. We have a plan within a plan. We have a plan within a plan within a plan. Do not worry. We'll figure this out, and then we'll do this. And I thought back to that every time. Well, not every time, because this isn't exactly something that happens every Tuesday. This is a once-in-a-lifetime event. But there are people like you in all of these companies now, despite the flighty nature uh, of gamers in general, and I as a gamer understand that because I'm flighty as well, it takes people like you behind the scenes to make these things actually run. And one thing that I've learned working for you is that the gaming industry will adapt. It will overcome. And it just might take a little time for the boat to fully right itself, so to speak. Um, but I have every faith that we will be back and things, <laughs> it is not the end of the world. It's not. And the other thing is I would put there is also gamers fall into that as well. Yes, we love to run around like headless mm-hmm. chickens at times, but actually they're very good at coping. You know, it's part of being a decent war gamer is your plan. As soon as it has contact with the enemy, it's out the window and you adapt immediately. And I think gamers actually are very well prepared for this new climate change or whatever it is and i don't mean uh, global warming or right. anything like that it might be a totally different thing is we're used to things being thrown at us and changing and coping um but that doesn't stop us getting excited and blathering on a little bit mm-hmm. is just i would always counsel and just saying just remember how you're thinking and calm down a little bit and maybe look at, you know, well, it's not really that bad, is it? Mm-hmm. You know, having to wait a few months, well, that just gives you something to look forward to rather than, oh, the whole sky's fallen down, is I'm sure that the majority of your listeners, including myself, if we looked under the bed or in a <laughs> cupboard, we've most probably got something we should have painted eight or nine years ago. <laughs> Something about Smog's horde of toy soldiers. Yes, I think we all have one of those. I've literally just sold my house, and I've moved a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought, you know, I'll I'll just go through this. Oh, my giddy God. (laughs) The amount of things that I came across going, oh, yeah, I must finish that project. Mm -hmm. Oh, that one as well. Oh, and this. Oh, and this one. Oh, and this one. Oh, and oh. I mean, I actually found myself that I had four and nearly a quarter of the Warhammer castles (laughs) in boxes with gates and all the the thing because I planned to make Mm -hmm. this enormous castle. And it was like, yeah, yeah, that that was a project that never quite, quite finished. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe COVID it will be, um, you know, and that sort of stuff is I came across my IS-1 uh, army mm-hmm. and it was like, I ought to finish painting them. <laughs> One of these years. Yep, exactly. So, you know, I think I think everybody is allowed to have their, you know, excitement but then also it should be yep nothing's coming to an end here is everybody's going to come out of it um slightly different but new releases are going to start flowing again games will be on there and actually maybe there'll be a few more painted toy soldiers um done and finished which will be nothing but a good thing amen to that 
Now, before we go, I do want to quickly touch on uh, game companies have been adapting not only behind the scenes, which is what you've been talking about, but also sort of front of house, more in the creativity studio side of things, where companies are trying to find things that they can put out. For example, um, Joseph McCullough, uh, who was on the show recently, talked about how while the Stargrave books were off being printed, given that COVID had sort of kicked off, he actually sat down and wrote a solo uh, expansion to the game, which they then released digitally on the day of release so that people could play it if they were locked down. And that was just one of the things while logistics were catching up, he was able to do something to make the game more accessible. Um, I know you guys have been working on a narrative campaign, for example. Can you talk to us Mm -hmm. a little bit about how that's working at Battlefront? It's again, it's the excuse to have a game Mm -hmm. is I think hobbyists and and boys in general, I'm going to be I think women are much more more sensible than us. They are able to plan. Lots of us, we need an excuse. Mm -hmm. I I remember trying to convince my wife that I needed two paintball guns because I had two hands that it didn't work. But, you know, it was that just the sort of an excuse. And. In brief, the narrative campaign is the same thing. It interacts with gamers that are able to feel engaged with how things are. They can either play the games themselves, obviously, or, well, I helped him make that decision. And anything like that, I think, is good. Again, that's that mentorism of the hobby. Exactly. Is if you've got somebody and you are not able to get to a gaming venue to do it yourself well actually the internet and uh, social media and all of that sort of stuff is a great medium to reach out and interact with other gamers um you know and i don't think that's to be scoffed at so definitely definitely yeah the online community is how a lot of us have uh, gotten our gaming fix in the last 12 to 18 months uh, I know I have, uh, and a lot of it's through interacting through the Cast Ice page. So it's, uh, it is a bold new world, and it is not the way it was. But as you say, things will come out of this differently than they went in, but it doesn't mean it'll be you know, better or worse. It'll just be different. It's how yep. we do it. It'll just be different. Yep. I mean, that's, that's the thing. As, as I've got a bit older in life is... There's one particular thing that resonates with me is that no parent brings up its child for a world that will exist. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, I've got friends like this and everything there, and especially with grandchildren now, you're looking at it and going, well, some principles will absolutely be in the same place, you know, um, honesty and all this sort of thing. As I don't, I hope that's not going away, is you do look at it and you go, wow, they are just so in touch with stuff that I never grew up with. Mm -hmm. You know, the idea of being able to speak to somebody via camera in Australia and I'm in America Mm -hmm. as a kid would be, what? We didn't even have mobile phones. (laughs) Right. And, you know, the idea of, you know, oh, you've got a phone is we didn't want to be called. Mm -hmm. That whole idea was escaping, you know, that sort of stuff. But I'm not saying it was better. It was just different. Different. And there will be stuff that will come next year, 10 years, whenever it is, that I will absolutely shake my head at. It's going, I just don't understand that. Mm -hmm. No, that's beyond. And some of it will be a decision where I go, no, I am going to be a grumpy old man and I'm never going to learn that technology. (laughs) But... You know, you also look at it and go, yeah, but there are actually major advantages to it as well. Um, And I think that's where you've got is it's just going to be different. And in many ways, it'll be just the same, but in a different way. Exactly. Exactly. And it's one of the things that we keep in mind in primary school teaching. There was an interesting statistic that came out a couple of years ago. And um, as a primary school teacher, I am not necessarily teaching my kids the skills that they that we were taught when we were kids because because technology is changing the way that we look at the world and the job market so rapidly these days 
the what is expected is 75% of the jobs that my students will have when they get to be my age don't even exist as a career option now. They just yep. don't exist. We can't even comprehend them. They, I mean, who would have thought influencing would be a thing? Um, yep. And yet, exactly. here we are. And so we are preparing kids to learn and adapt as the world adapts around them rather than saying, when you grow up, you're going to be a fireman. Because... Mm -hmm. They might be, but they might be something that doesn't even exist yet. Yep. Yeah. Well, John, I think on that note, it may be time to call it a day. Um, thank you <laughs> so much for coming on. I, I know it's just been uh, a weird... Let's talk about all of our favorite philosophies with gaming and the gaming industry. But the things we've talked about today really are a lot of the things I've wanted to talk about on the show for a long time. And I haven't necessarily had a guest to have the vehicle to do so. So again, I know you're extremely busy um, with all the logistics and everything else in the world, and you're on the other side of the planet, and it's late your night. But thank you so much for coming on. It has been absolutely a pleasure to see your face and hear your voice and to uh, just catch up. Oh, nice. No, thank you very much, Brad. No problem at all. And as I say, the only caveat I would always uh, finish with is just remember, it's an opinion. I think it's based on a few uh, facts and that sort of stuff, but I am not trying to force or preach to anybody completely. Yeah. I always know, and, you know, I am an American, so I'm going to go, you know, freedom. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Guys, thank you so much for listening. I know this hasn't been an episode that is the usual cast dice fair, but I thought it would be interesting to pull back the curtain a little bit and look at the gaming industry from another perspective. We will be back uh, next week with uh, more great Cast Dice content that you are, I guess, a little more standard fare. Uh, and I've got some good things up my sleeve for the weeks to come. So I hope you enjoy. As always, if you have an idea for the show or any uh, feedback from something that we've said today, please contact me at Cast Dice on Facebook, C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. Uh, my name is Brad. Hi. If you message the page, you're guaranteed a response. Just remember, I'm in Australia, so it might take me a couple of hours to wake up to get your message. But all of that aside, uh, I think it, it is time to go with what our old buddy Casey always says, which is, when you are playing the games that we know and love, I hope your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages are cold. But more than that, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Good night. Are gone and they're trapped by home.